chapter 7. Uh, David Boswell uh, wrote a book called How Life Imitates the World Series. And uh, uh, he wrote about uh, a coach, Earl Weaver. He was the manager of the Baltimore Orioles a number of years ago. And he had to coach a guy by the name of Reggie Jackson. Maybe you haven't ever heard that name before. Uh, but uh, Reggie was not the easiest guy to coach, they say, as far as uh, baseball players is concerned. Uh, he was uh, very flamboyant. Uh, he was one who basically shared his opinions. And uh, if you didn't agree with him, well, you were wrong. Anyway, uh, basically, Weaver had a rule that no one could steal a base unless given the steal sign. Now, that bothered Jackson. Uh, he knew, he felt he knew the pitchers and catchers well enough to judge who could and couldn't, he couldn't steal off of. So one game, he decided that uh, he wasn't going to listen. He was going to steal without a sign. And he got a good jump off the pitcher, easily beat the throw to second base. Well, he shook the dirt off his uniform, and he smiled with delight, and he felt he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. I feel like I can do this whenever I, I can make it. Well, Weaver didn't take him out of the game. He didn't really say anything at all to him, which was kind of a surprise to Jackson, but he took him aside later on. And he said, I want you to know why I didn't give you the steal sign. First of all, the next batter was Lee May. He's the best power hitter other than you. He said, when you stole second base, it left first base open, and the team walked May intentionally. So that brought up another batter. The next batter uh, hadn't been strong against that pitcher at all, and Weaver felt he had to send a pitch hitter up to strive against, to, uh, who was stronger against that pitcher. So he left him without bench strength later in the game. And uh, as he was telling the story, the guy concluded in the book by saying the problem was Jackson saw only his relationship to the pitcher and catcher and an opportunity to take a base. But Weaver was considering the whole game. He wasn't considering just this little event. He was considering how it was going to impact and how the decision made would uh, affect the game far down the road. And the writer concluded by saying this, we too can only see so far. God sees the bigger picture. When he sends us a signal, it's wise to obey no matter what we may think or know because God is looking at the whole scene. Moses has just finished telling God it can't be done. If you look in chapter 6 and verse 30, Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Now, that may not tell it exactly, but there's already been a conversation going on when Moses has come to the Lord back at the end of chapter 5, believe it or not. There hasn't been a lot that's taken place in between. And at the end of chapter 5, he said, God, you didn't take care of this problem. You didn't get the people out yet. Why did you even call me here? And then God told him, that he was supposed to go back and he was supposed to talk to the children of Israel, try to convince them, and he wasn't successful at that. So he comes back to God again and he says, Lord, you know, uh, you know, I can't do this. 
And God tells him, go speak to Pharaoh. And that's where we come up at the end of verse 30. And Moses is saying, look, I haven't been able to convince the Israelites. It didn't work the first time. Why now? And why do you think anything is going to be anything different? And here's the thing. All, all Moses could see um, was, was his little section, his little, if you would, limited perspective. He wasn't looking at the whole picture, and it was impossible for him to understand. He was saying it can't be done. But God begins in this chapter to do a series of events that lead up to Pharaoh thrusting the people out just as God promised would happen. But Moses said it was impossible. But God knew it to be very possible. God was seeing, if you will, the whole picture. Moses only saw his relationship to the pitcher and catcher, and he knew he was too slow to make it to second base anyway. I mean, he was 80 years old, and it was hopeless as far as Moses was concerned, but God was only getting started. So follow along, if you would, and I'm going to read a good portion of chapter 7 because I'd like to look at, hopefully, the, the whole chapter this evening. And I know we've been taking a, a, an a, on an awful lot in our uh, passages, and it seems like in many ways we just kind of are going through quickly, and yet uh, there's some great truth here. So follow along as we read, and the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god unto Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you. Then, shalt, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he can't come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters that are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died and the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. I can't figure that one out, by the way. I still get a little bit confused when I read that, that story except for the fact that they were digging beside, just a little sideline here, they were digging kind of beside and, and, and water that would come into the little areas they were digging besides the river uh, would be clean. And I guess maybe they got some of that and then they turned it to blood. I have no idea how they did it or what they did exactly. But anyway, that was the situation. And so Pharaoh's heart was hardened in verse 22. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went unto, into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river, there you go, for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. Seven days, seven days, bloody water, bloody water, seven days. And it didn't work as far as man was concerned. But let's look this evening at this chapter and see uh, limited men, but a limitless God. Let's pray together. Father, please open our hearts, our minds to truth tonight. Encourage our hearts and help us to see what we ought from this passage. There are many lessons to be learned. Help us uh, not to lose sight uh, as we uh, go through this entire book that there is a great God in heaven. And may we never tire of hearing the message that there is a mighty God that can do great things far above what we could ever expect. And may we trust you, and may you see, we see you as you are. And Lord God, I pray that you touch our hearts uh, this night with truth from your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So, we have entitled the message, Limited Men versus, versus Limitless God. And we've got four different points I'd like to look at. I had actually thought we might just walk through this chapter, uh, maybe doing a little bit like we did this morning, giving you 8,000 points. But uh, rather than do that, I'd like to kind of divide up the chapter, not the chapter per se, but uh, to divide it into four different points, four different realities that we can find in this chapter. And we're going to kind of then jump around a little bit through the chapter because in order to put it into specific events, uh, we're going to see in different places uh, these truths. And first, I want you to understand and just perceive, as we just brought out, limited perspective. Limited perspective. In chapter 6 and verse 30, as we began our service, we said, Moses came to the Lord and said, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? And quite honestly, as far as man was concerned, as far as Moses was concerned, and by the way, as far as Pharaoh was concerned, it was a done deal. We're not going anywhere. Uh, you're not getting out of this place. And, uh, and, you know, I don't have any concern at all with what you're thinking or, or what you believe Pharaoh would have in his mind. I'm not going to let the children of Israel go. But here's the truth, and here's a, a truth we need to be reminded of, that what we can see is very limited. 
uh, as human beings, there's not a lot that, that uh, we understand beyond what we can see and observe going on in our world right now. But I'll tell you something, there is a God who can see everything. In fact, we can put it this way, what God can see is limitless. What we can see is limited. The story we shared to open the service is kind of a poor picture of the reality brought out in the text before us. But it's a reminder that sometimes our perspective in life is only in our little corner and our little events and the things that we know and we observe and maybe even what we have conjured up in our own mind. When in reality, uh, like Weaver, our, our God, well, far greater than Weaver, our God sees the whole picture. He sees the end from the beginning, and he knows things that you and I do not know, and he sees things that you and I cannot see. And we need to be encouraged with the thought that there is a God in heaven that's in control, and he can see everything. Now, we contrast man's limited perspective with God's limitless perspective, and it's, it's observed, really, not just in the last verse of chapter 6 and verse 30, because Moses is saying, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? And God said, Pharaoh sees you as a God. Don't you see the distinct difference in view and perspective here? Do you not see that, that God had already done something in the heart of Pharaoh? Here's Moses. He's at the end of his rope saying, I failed. He won't listen to me. And God is saying, let's go, Moses. The time's right for a miracle. I've already changed Pharaoh's attitude. Now, not in the sense that Pharaoh is going to say, okay. But I, he, said, he said, I've put in a sense of fear of, of not the God, but fear of God's in, in him. Uh, he actually, God had done something in, in Pharaoh's heart to make him say, this man is unique and I'm going to give him a hearing. Now, quite honestly, Really, you think about it, uh, how, I, just to ponder the fact that Moses was able to come and stand before Pharaoh after he came the first time and Pharaoh said, get back to your, you people, get back to your work. I'm going to make things worse. The, the fact that he was even willing to hear Moses took a miracle from God. Do you understand that? And chapter 7, verse 1 tells us this. So here's Moses. His limited perspective is, I've already blown. I blew it the first time. And then, you know, I couldn't, can't even convince the children of Israel, and now you want me to go back to Pharaoh. And God says, I've already taken care of it. I've made you a God before Pharaoh, and I see it all. I understand it all. And the truth is, he's going to keep turning you down and keep turning you down, and you're going to keep going back, and you're going to keep telling them what I told you to tell you, and this is all going to come out all right. And God lays that out in these next verses that we just read. So we have limited perspective, but we need to remember that God, God sees everything. Look, I, I'm just like you. I, I'm, I, I can't always understand the events of life and make sense of them. Can you? A lot of times I, I look at circumstances, I look at situations, and I find it hard to comprehend how can all things work together for good when a family loses a loved one, when some tragedy takes place, when some event like I don't know, years ago, 9-11, or, or some other thing takes place, and, and we see a, a lot of... A lot of Terrible things taking place, as we've just seen things in the last couple of years, as far as our government is concerned. And we look at the events and we look at these things, and, and many times because we can only see here when God can see it all, we get frustrated. And we need to remember that there's a God in heaven who can work all things together for good and who knows the beginning from the end. And therefore, he can take even what we would see as 
horribly tragic events that could never work out for good and do great things. You know, there's a lot of things I can't understand. Can you? As I just said, I, you know, I, I look, when Sam had to spend a few days in the hospital this week again because of that little complication, you know, I, I don't understand the reasons behind it. But here's what the Bible reminds me is God sees the whole picture. God, God knew. God knew Sam would be in for the surgery. God knew Sam would be in a, a, a week later because there was going to be a, an, an issue and a problem. I didn't, and no one else here did. Sam didn't, nor did, nor did his wife, nor did anyone else in the, in the family. And, and I, I have to realize that i got to trust God. And you say, well, Moses needed to do that. In chapter 7, he did. Do you see that? In chapter 7, he did. Look at verse 6. He did. He was willing to accept that he had a limited perspective and God could see. He had limited abilities, limitless ability to see what, what Moses could not. Second truth that I'd like you to glean from and see from this passage is life's problems now that we've read through the chapter. This, this point kind of walks us into the main text for today. Exodus 7 is about life's problems. Here's a guy who did what God told him to do, and it made everything worse. Chapter 5. He tries to resolve it by following God when God tells him to take another step and go to the children of Israel and encourage them, and the children of Israel aren't encouraged. I put it this way in, in my notes. Moses was at this point a basket case of insecurity. You know, <laughs> who, me? Are you kidding? I mean, he's already been saying that, but he's saying it again. Because, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, deja vu, here we are again. I blew it the first time when I killed a guy 40 years ago. I come back, I blow it again. You know, time to go back, and maybe 40 years from now, when I'm 120, I, I can come back and, and do something good. Um, I don't think he was, he was even guessing that that possibility would happen. He comes, though, to this crossroad of life. And uh, I'll tell you that it's at this point, it seems like his faith was strengthened. You know, why does God allow life's problems? I, let's just walk it through. First, and first thing is to develop our faith. It's to develop our faith. Why else would chapter 7, verse 6 take place unless Moses was willing to believe God because he had no sign up to this point that it was going to happen. Nothing, nothing encouraging in the sense that things had all, you know, turned out right. It's just one big problem. And this was just an opportunity for, for Moses, this, again, this basket case of insecurity to become a powerful spokesperson for God. When he steps out by faith and says, okay, Lord, here's what you told me. I don't see how it could ever happen, but I'm going to do it anywhere. And he moves forward, and without a doubt, we don't see the word faith ever mentioned, but his faith was strengthened. We observe, by the way, by a change in Moses that these struggles of life have strengthened his faith in God's ability. Now, here's the truth. None of us, none of us want a Pharaoh scenario. None of us want to, want to go... Before, uh, before someone like Pharaoh 
and have, have the guy basically say, are you crazy? And totally throw us out the door and make it worse for those we're trying to help. No one wants to go through those situations. None of us would ask for difficulties, pressures, problems, and struggles in life, but it's vital for us to see that they aren't designed to put us on the shelf. They're designed to drive us to trust God and believe what God has said. And, and that is difficult. Because everything in our being is saying exactly what Moses is saying. I'm of uncircumcised lips. Pharaoh's not going to listen. And God says, I've made you a God already, Pharaoh, go. And when you go, just know this, he's not going to listen. He's not going to listen. But go anyway. And do what I've told you to do. And eventually, God says, he's going to drive you out. Promise you that. And it developed his faith. By the way, Here's the second truth about life's problems. They're opportunities. They're opportunities for God to prove himself. I love verse 5. The Lord said unto Moses, I've made you a God to Pharaoh. Aaron, thy brother, shall be thy prophet. And you're going to speak what I've commanded you. And here's what he said. In the end, this is what's going to happen. Look at verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know. What are they going to know? I'm the Lord. I'm Jehovah. I'm the, the God of all. I'm the self-existing God of heaven and earth. They're going to know that. And they are going to fear me. And they did. Look, Moses' problems, Israelites' problems, gave God an opportunity to prove himself to a lost world and to prove himself to his own. Now, I know we don't look at problems that way because we look at the problems because we're limited and we see there's no way this could ever work out. But God tells us right here at the beginning, this will prove clearly I'm God. I will prove it to the Egyptians. I'm going to prove it to you. Trust me. Take the step of faith. There are opportunities for God to prove himself. You say, well, does that even bear true today? Well, 1 Peter 3.15, Peter said these words, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You say, well, what does that have to do with situations? Well, he's talking about problems there. He's talking about trials. He's talking about suffering. And he said, as a believer, when you're trusting me, when you're acting in faith upon me, it's going to open doors of opportunity when you have hope in the midst of your difficulties. It's going to open opportunities for me to prove myself to a lost world so that they ask you questions and you need to be ready and be prepared. So it gives an opportunity for God to prove himself. We never ask for problems. We don't want problems, but we need them because they strengthen our faith. They give us God an opportunity to prove himself. By the way, it gives us a chance to prove our commitment to God. Look in verse 6. This is, this is, to me, astounding. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. So let me tell you what happened, or let me ask the question, and, I, and I'm, I'm sincere when I say this. What happened at the end of chapter 6, verse 30, to se chapter 7 and verse 5, 
that, if you would, would have convinced Moses and Aaron. Absolutely nothing other than the word of God. That's it. I mean, what? There were no signs. You know, before when he told them to go, Moses said, well, I'm good. who am I going to say he sent me, you know, and how can I prove it? And say, prove that God spoke to you. He said, throw down your rod. So there were things that, but there was nothing here. And I, quite honestly, we really criticized Moses. And I, and, and I, rightfully so, all right? There are some things that he really blew it in when he was asking those questions and everything else. And he was failing God, if you would. But quite frankly, he shows great faith here. When he's just gone to God and he said, I've just totally, completely blown it. I mean, it's just like, look at this problem. There's no way out. God says, there is a way out. I made you a God before Pharaoh. Go and speak to him. And and verse 6 is amazing. Well, it shouldn't be. But if you think about it yourself, are you going before Pharaoh? Put yourself there. What have you seen? Nothing yet. But it gives us, look, when we have problems, it gives us a chance, and I, I guess we could have tied this in with faith, but it gives us a chance to prove that we're just committed to what God has said. Um, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. When his wife said, curse God and die, you speak as one of the foolish ones. Shall we not receive good and evil at the hand of the Lord? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So here's a guy who just said, okay, look, Lord, I'm committed to God. I'm committed to God. And I, I don't care what he does. I don't care what happens in the situation. I'm just committed to God. Um, we think of this in relation to the big problems of life. But let me ask you to, to think about it this way, because this was a big problem, okay? But... Do you realize that even the small problems of, of your week this week are going to be opportunities for you to prove your commitment to God? You say, well, if I was in this situation, I, if God spoke to well, if God spoke to me, I would hope I'd be there saying, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yes, sir. But, um, but what's going to happen when you get, um, when you're driving down the road and, and a driver cuts you off or you get stuck in traffic for an hour in Spring Hill because they haven't widened the roads. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. I, I know no one's listening and no one cares, but uh, anyway, you know, and and you're sit there, sitting there thinking to yourself, I got to be in an appointment and and I, I you know, I, I, I don't need this problem today. And it's at those moments all the time where we have opportunity to prove our commitment to God. Don't forget that. Again, we, we want to look at this in, in the large aspects. But here's the thing. If I'm not proving my commitment to God when I'm stuck in traffic, I'm not going to prove my commitment to God when, when I have to go before Pharaoh. And in, in your life this week, here's, here's the challenge from, from, verse, from verse 6 in chapter 7. In your life this week, you are going to have challenges to your commitment to faithfulness to what God has told you in his word. 
And the question is, what will you do? And each problem is going to be just another opportunity for you to say to God, God, I believe your word, even though I can't see the end. You see everything. I'm going to trust you. And I got to tell you, verse 6 is mighty challenging to me. It really is. And it should be to all of us. God gives us a chance to prove our commitment to God. Um, these things develop our, our, um, our patience. Go to, go to chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. I, I know Moses really wanted to hear that. You know, he gets out there, throws that rod down. The, the thing that he jumped at and was scared about, it didn't indicate that Pharaoh and, and his house, I mean, it was like, yeah, we see this all the time. I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's like, what? Not all that special. So it turned into a snake. Hey, get the charmers out here. Get the, get the magicians. Yeah, 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 watch. I mean, maybe that was just a regular occurrence there. Maybe sticks were always turned into serpents. I don't know. <laughs> If they were, I really didn't want to live during that time, you know. But, uh, you know, maybe the, I, I, I have no idea, except I know this. When God said that, it had to be something that, that Moses said, oh, come on, please. Okay, that's how I think. Uh, but uh, the problems that God allows develop patience. Do you know what the next five or six chapters are for Moses? Lessons in patience. But, you know, frogs, frogs everywhere. Man, frogs everywhere. Get rid of the frogs tomorrow. Moses prays, and, and there's big piles of dead frogs the next day. You know, the land already stank. The land stunk for like weeks. Great, great word in scripture. The lion stank. Uh, you know, okay. I, I, you know, just vivid pictures come to mind. But here, here's, a, here's a guy that just had to wait. By the way, did you notice in verse 25 of chapter 7? The, the second thing he did was the water turned blood, right? So how long did they have to live with that? Did the children of Israel have to live with that? Yeah. It wasn't until later on when God separated the children of Israel. So understand this, that, that God sometimes, do you know this process took weeks, if not months, to complete? Um, and so just understand this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Does that sound familiar? Because James wrote that to the believers in James chapter 1, a truth that Moses had to learn by experience, and you and I do too. Because our problems don't always end after surgery. I'm not picking it all on Brother Farrington, but our problems don't always end after a surgery. And I know he's, he's living that. And, and so do we. Our, our problems don't end just because one event has happened. Sometimes, sometimes it just goes on and on and on and on. And, and we, in our limited perspective, are saying, God, why? God, get me over this. God, I can't take another day. And the Lord's saying, 
I see the end. I see the whole thing. Let me take care of this. Trust me. And we need to have that patience developed and let God have his way. Someone shared a personal experience. It was a lady who said, there's a place in my Bible that I frequently visit and revisit. It's a, fun, a place I, I turn, put in front of me when, um, you know, when I go through problems. And every time I open my Bible, it, it turns there now because there was one day when I was to that page and there was a storm that broke out and rain came and that page is now all wavy in my Bible. So it always goes to the same place in my Bible. And, and so I guess that was a good thing. She said, the pages have long since dried, leaving the paper wavy and wrinkled, easy to turn to. But uh, lasting impressions of the rain impressed on my mind that day that there's a God working. The hardest rains, she said, was a lesson I learned, always leave indelible imprints. And she shared something she read from C.S. Lewis, who wrote uh, The Problem with Pain. He refers to pain as God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Convincingly, he explains what we know to be true of God and evil, suffering and Christ. Years later, in the pages of A Grief Observed, he describes watching his wife lose her battle with cancer and wrestling with God through the pain. He writes as a man who bitterly, torturously, and intimately knows what he knows to be true of good and evil, suffering in Christ. He wrote these words, Your bid for God or no God, for a good God or the cosmic sadist, for eternal life or non-entity will not be serious if nothing much is staked on it. You will never discover how serious it was until the stakes are raised horribly high. He went on, nothing will shake a man or at any rate a man like me out of his merely verbal thinking and his merely notional beliefs until he's been knocked silly before he comes to his senses. Only torture, that was his word, will bring out the truth only under torture does, does he discover it himself. In other words, he was saying it's, it's in those crisis moments when I'm forced to trust God, when I, I have no answers. It's at those times when, if you would, God is torturing me that I, that I learn that, that there is a God in heaven who's in control. The lady then went on and said, I believe the first time I really, really and fearfully looked my faith in the eyes was when I was pounding my fists against the chest of God, half demanding, half pleading to know why my father was dying. In our prayers we cry and in our hymns we sing, that we sang tonight, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. But when the stakes are at their highest, do we mean it? Do we really want to let God have his way? Are we really willing to let God do whatever he needs to do so we can be drawn nearer to him? The next five chapters are all about a guy who had to be saying, Lord, draw me near or whatever. I'll do it. And can I say this? That's, that's kind of 
Uh, well, maybe we'll get to it in a little bit. Moses was at such a place, the problems continued. But the problems were vehicles for God to prove himself, to develop faith, commitment, and patience. In Moses 1. Moses 1. And for all our criticism earlier, it shows great character when you read those words just in verse 6. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Learning about people. Learning about people. Third thing. God has a plan for each person in life. God has a plan for each person in life. We don't even have time to say what we ought in regard to this subject, but Moses had something to accomplish for God. Now, he got ahead of God's plan early in life. He blew it, and it took a long time before he got back there, but God had a plan. Now, the one he had in his mind drastically differed from the one that God had for him, but God had a plan, and Moses had to be willing finally to surrender to it. And let me just share another truth. And, and, and I love it. Look at verse 7. And, and uh, it's a truth I was going to make a separate point since it's about people. But here's the truth. Age doesn't matter in God's plan. Look, it's never too late to get going on God's plan for your life. Yes, Events may change, circumstances may change, things may have happened. There may be years that have passed and you haven't served God. But you know, you know, 40 years later, Moses gets back in tune with God. And I, I'm encouraged by that. God has a plan for each person. And, and the plan isn't over until you're gone. So, so... Uh, I'm a senior. Get back to it. Well, I got away from it. Get back to it. Get back to it. God has a plan for each person. Oh, you'll, you'll love this next one about people. People are either obstacles or vessels to fulfill his will. Do you see that in chapter 7? Okay, obstacle. Who was the obstacle? Pharaoh, okay. Who was the vessel? Who were the vessels? Moses and Aaron. Two main characters other than God in the next six chapters. One's the obstacle, rejecting, hindering the will of God. The other, other two are vessels to bring it about. And do you know today that's still happening? It may not be a grand event like this where plagues are happening and everything's falling apart in the land in which you live. Actually, sounds vaguely familiar. All right, no, it's nothing like that. Understand that. But the, the fact of the matter is, right now, you are either an obstacle or a vessel to God's will being fulfilled. Which is it? Which is it? Tomorrow, when you're in that traffic jam, when the guy cuts you off, when the lady drives slow down the road. You're either going to be an obstacle or a vessel to fulfill his will. 
You'll make that choice over and over this week. You will. Which are you going to be? People are either obstacles or vessels. Thank God there was a vessel. Two vessels that stood before Pharaoh. Or we don't have or we don't have Israel in Israel today. But it's because two men were willing to be vessels. And because God used an obstacle. But you're one or the other. Uh, letter, letter C. I love this one. God can help me deal with difficult people. Honestly, verse 1 really just has jumped out of me and ended up becoming something that I've thought a lot about this week. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I've made thee a, a God to Pharaoh. Have you ever had people problems? I know you know, you never do. You, okay, you, you, you do. So I, I see the smiles, at least on a few faces. You, you know, you have people problems. Maybe your relationships throughout life has always been, you know, maybe they've always been stress and trouble free, but, but for me, relationships have been a mixed bag. Rifts happen. Problems come between you and other people. Sometimes they come because you're doing what God wants and they don't want to do what God wants. And here's the truth. You can't change them. But God can. Moses and Pharaoh didn't leave shaking hands as good buddies. God never said that that would happen. But God did put fear in Pharaoh's heart because he saw Moses as a god. That's an amazing thing. And it's just a great reminder that God can help me deal with difficult people. And, uh, and God can put it in their heart. God can give you favor with people. You know, Nehemiah prayed for that. When he was asked, why are you sad? He, he asked God to give him favor as he stood before the king to make a request. Um, who, who would ever thought Pharaoh would have considered him a god? Look, when, when people are at odds with one another from, from uh, the, the beginning to finish, you wouldn't have believed that these things could have happened. But it was all because there, there's a God in heaven who can help us deal with difficult people. And, put us, and, and, and if nothing else, he can give them and work in their heart to give them a respect for what you need to do as you're seeking to please God. So uh, just remember that. Uh, and then the last point, and it's not the, the, actually it's the greatest point of all, but we have the least amount of time to deal with it, but put it down, limitless power. And, and we end with this point, not because it's the least important, but I want to say it's the greatest of the greatest importance. And yet we've already brought out a number of these things because we've already seen them in Exodus and we're going to see them in the rest of the book and if we ever get tired of hearing them, we're in trouble. God is a God of limitless power. God is in control. Don't forget it. God is in control. 
although it may not appear like he is, he's very much in control of every event and circumstance of life. And Moses questioned, how can I get Pharaoh to listen? And God has it all under control. I've taken care of it. I made you a God. You will stand before him, and he won't listen, but you can stand before him. You're going to tell him what I've told you, told you to do. And when you do that, in the end, he will thrust you out. And he did. God is in control. God knows everything. Whether it was the fact Pharaoh wouldn't listen or the final judgment which would cause Pharaoh to change his mind, God knew everything from, from the very start. You know, what's a surprise to us isn't a surprise to God. Moses says, Lord, I can't believe this happened. There's no way we're going to get this done. And God says, I knew it was going to happen. I told you it was going to happen. I've already told you a couple times it's going to happen. I'll tell you again it's going to happen because I know everything. God is in control. God knows everything. And then you got to say it again. God can do anything. <laughs> God could. In in just a, a, a matter, bring a wind and bring in frogs or bring in, you know, uh, grasshoppers to destroy. God can do those kind of things. Seriously. Do you really believe that, that you have any problem that God can't solve? God can do anything. And just one other truth that actually... Uh, Satan isn't mentioned here, but in verse 12, there's no doubt that Satan is, has been at work when the magicians and the sorcerers did likes with their enchantments. And I'm just reminded, God is greater than Satan. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We're told in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. And the little act which takes place here reminds us, first of all, that Satan is powerful. He's at work in this world. And he's seeking to blind the minds of people. He's, he's been doing this ever since the beginning. Sadly, he presents himself as an angel of light, and many people are deceived by him. But I'm telling you today that there is a God in heaven who's bigger. And, uh, and you know, the magicians, there was a time when they actually come up and they said to Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do it. No, we can't do that. This is the hand of God. And God proved that he was God. He proved that he's a greater God. And he's greater than Satan. So many valuable lessons. Lessons we need for life today. In Exodus chapter 7. And I hope you've been challenged as I have just this past week in spending time and digging into this uh, wonderful chapter which shares great truth about God. Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes. Um, going to have a word of prayer to close this, the service uh, tonight, but um, I just want to ask you, did you, were you challenged, reminded about something tonight in Exodus chapter 7 um, that um, Maybe you're going to ask God for his grace to respond to or do or think on, whether it's faith or whatever, but you just say, you know, preacher, would you pray for me that this week I would take what I learned from this chapter and apply it to my life for the glory of God? Would any say that by a raised hand just as we close? Great. Good. Good. Let's ask God to do that right now. Father, um, you saw the hands 
Thank you for challenging me from Exodus chapter 7 in this wonderful story about your mighty power in the midst of great difficulties and problems. And, and thank you for the lessons that can be learned. And you've obviously spoken to hearts, and I'm thankful for that. And I pray for each individual that raised a hand that this week would be a week of victory, that, um, that in the area you spoke to their heart, whether it be faith, whether it, it, whatever it might be, that, uh, Lord God, uh, patience, that you would just help your people this week to remember this story and the truth you taught them and may it make a difference in the way they act and live throughout this week. And I will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you trust him in your difficulty. You're dismissed.